In this week's very special show, we physically head to the Cotswolds Distillery in Warwickshire for our first distillery tour of 2021, where we will be tasting everything that they have to offer. Indeed, and in a conversation recorded within the Cotswolds tasting room itself, we'll be talking to our hosts, Rob Patchett and Connor Teague of the Cotswolds Distillery, as well as Vin P.F. of No Nonsense Whiskey, who also came along. And as always, you can see some more whiskey-based content images and things and things and things on our social media platforms at Whiskey and Things Podcast on Instagram and at Whiskey and Things and Things and Things on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to our stuff and things and stuff and stuff on all your podcast platforms. You're listening to Whiskey and Things with Nick Kent and Dave Giles. Oh, hi, Dave. Oh, hi, Nick. And welcome to episode 80. I am Dave Giles. And I'm Nick Kent. Special episode, this, Nick. Special it episode. It might be a long one. It might be a long one. Um, we shall see. But yeah, special episode because um, we managed to make it out to a distillery, Dave. I remember. I Do was you there. remember that? Do you remember? <laughs> I remember. I remember. Yeah, we managed to make out to a distillery for the first time in 2021, which was fantastic. Cotswolds Distillery, England, for everyone who doesn't know. <laughs> Warwickshire, apparently. I didn't know it was yes. there until I did yep. my research earlier. Yep. Yeah. I didn't learn counties at school, did you? I don't know, but I've learned them as I've got older for sure. Mm, I haven't. But anyway, yeah, at the end of August, we managed to get down there, didn't we, Dave? Um, our good friend, Vin... PF from No Nonsense Whiskey was kind enough to give us an introduction to the guys at, uh, at Cotswolds and uh, they invited us down and they gave us a great tour of the distillery and then we went and had a little sit down and taste of everything they had in their tasting room and we sat down and had a great conversation um, which lasted a while. At the moment, I don't know how long this interview is going to be because I haven't <laughs> edited it yet. It's going to be in two parts, isn't it, though, Nick? It's going to be in two parts. But you may remember Vin of No Nonsense Whiskey from episode 69, which we talked to some whiskey that he has bottled himself. Yeah. Uh, but we've also discussed Cotswold twice on this twice. podcast. Episode 10, way back, way back when, uh, we tried their single malt, which is their, uh, we'll call it bog standard, but you know what I mean. They're the core, the core, range, yeah. the, the yeah. core. Um, and in episode seventy, Nick uh, sent me a sample of the Cotswold peated cask, which his brother got him for his birthday. Yes, um, the Cotswold single malt was one of my favourite ones we had last year. Yeah, so I was excited about going to the place and finding out more. Uh, and as Nick said, it was a lovely tour. We had a spot of lunch. It's a lovely place. It's got oh. a lovely cafe there. Oh. Uh, beautiful bit of lunch, um, and and it's not too big, so you can see everything fairly quickly if, if you're going to be a tourist in the Cotswolds this should be one of your stops definitely um, it's a beautiful part of the world as well if you're driving around there beautiful roads like especially it was sunny when we went Dave oh, it was sunny it was the day, next day it? when I went to pick up the car it yeah. was beautiful and I had a spot of lunch the next day as well Dave uh, Did you? after after we both went to the shop because yes. the day we went there for the interview and the tour it, we basically ran over and uh, the shop shut so the next day we went back to the shop they have, uh, they have a little pizza oven outside as well, don't they? Uh, pizza, yeah, yeah. Everything there. Really, really uh, worth uh, having a little visit, everyone. But um, while we were there, Rob Patchett, their national accounts manager, and Connor Teague, events and activations manager, gave us a little tour. And then we sat down with them afterwards in the tasting room and they 
just lined up their entire range for us to <laughs> to um, try and let us pour our own, which is uh, an interesting way of doing it. And we encourage it to everyone else <laughs> who wants to give us a tour. They've set the standard now, haven't they? Yeah, it was kind of a big table, wasn't it? Um, the video will be on our Patreon, everyone, was hard to say later on, but you'll see that the, uh, the <laughs> it was a big table. So we had to pour our own, which is fantastic. But yeah, anyway, so should we get into it? So I'm not sure how long this is going to be. Well, yeah, well, just quickly, because I don't think we mentioned it in the interview. When we when we got the tour, we got to go into the in, uh, into the room where they make the whiskey, basically, the... Uh, you know they've got the stills and the and the f- fermentation process. And there's one thing I want to bring up, and that's the they've named their two stills. They've got yeah. names, and I think this is brilliant. So one of them is called Proud Mary, um, <laughs> <laughs> named after uh, the greatest work song of all time, according to their website. But um, it's sentiment of the song are very apt for this one because Proud Mary tends to huff and puff a bit like an old riverboat, which uh, which I like. Was that the wash or the spirit still? Who huffs and puffs? I bet the hard work one, that's got to be the wash still, I reckon. Yeah, I think it is the wash. Mm. Uh, and then Janice. The other one was called Janice. We name our spirit still in honour of Janice Joplin <laughs> and her seminal work, Peace of My Heart. Every day she encourages us, as did Janice, to take another piece of my heart. Uh, so yeah. so we do as she says, taking the hearts to create our wonderful single malt whiskey. Yeah. Um, On so- the tour, I asked if it was named Janice because the first time they tasted the whiskey or a new make out of it, I said, did they go... Oh my God! <laughs> From Friends, everyone, that Janice. But uh, no, it had a far deeper and better meaning than that. So never let me name a still. And in the spirit of them naming things, by the way, <laughs> their green forklift is named Red Rum, as it is a private forklift. And it makes sense, <laughs> apparently. Uh, their meal is called Rawhide. Roll in, roll in, roll it. <laughs> And, okay. and their boiler is called Henry. Uh, this one has something to do with steam trains. <laughs> okay. Thomas Tank Engine. Tom Get maybe it? Thomas Tank Engine. Anyway, I just want to do that because I know we didn't then talk about it when uh, yeah when well, we had the interview, but I thought yeah. it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I like that. So here's the first part of our conversation with Rob Patchett. So we don't get a talking stick now? <laughs> no. <laughs> we need one. Connor Teague. Uh, just didn't want to be in meetings, so I thought I'd come and join you for today. <laughs> We're going to get more people joining us in a yeah, second. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And Vin PF. Oh, uh, yeah, shoehorn myself in again. <laughs> yeah. Recorded in the Cotswolds Distillery Tasting Room. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to Whiskey and Things. So, um, here we are at the Cotswolds Distillery. Finally. We've had a great day so far, um, but this is the... Real test, isn't it, Nick? You know, of whether is... we can actually do this show properly. Well, no, I'm, I'm just, th- I'm just thinking. It's the test in terms of we've seen how it's made. Now we need to find out if it tastes any good. But oh. to an extent, we know that because we've tried at least three of these already. Um, so we've already poured out a dram of of the single malt. So uh, shall we? And this is the 2014 one, right? So this is our. Uh, this is what we're now going to be referring to as our signature reserve uh, right. flagship. This is the first release of the whiskey that we've done. Um, we release it every single month, uh, usually in about 10,000 bottle increments. Um, and we first released it in 2017. And it is our flagship. It is our masthead. It is basically what we pride ourselves on with regards to our whiskey. And uh, yeah, we're very proud of it. Like you say, it's, it's just a good whiskey, really good whiskey. 46%, non-chill filtered, all natural color. 70% of it is red wine STR cask aged. 
and 30% is first fill bourbon cask aged as well. Marriage for one month together and then bottled at 46%. Nice. Why did you choose 46%? Well, it's the magic number. I mean, Vinyl attests to this. Chill filtration is a big thing. Um, and 46% is the perfect ABV to retain oils in a clear state in a whiskey. So if you see a whiskey at 46% and it's crystal clear, that is because the oils that you will get from the distillation process will remain in suspension. As soon as you drop it by temperature, whether it's chilling it down or with water or whatever, ice, you'll see that loose. You'll see those oils become hydrophobic. They'll, they'll come away from the liquid, if you will. Um, and that's always going to happen below 46%. So chill filtration is bringing the temperature down, filtering out the oil so you have a consistent colour, um, but it strips out flavour. For us, we want to keep flavour in the whisky. So a higher ABV not only carries flavour, but it carries those oils which also carry flavour around the palate. Yeah, I love this whisky so much. I absolutely love this whisky. I mean, that's a long answer to a short question. No, it's, no, it's, it's why... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always intrigued as to why people choose a certain percentage. I know there are some scientific reasons like the not clouding when it's and, and things like that, which makes sense in terms of, I know 40%, 46 is the magic number for that, but I um, wondered if there was another reason as well. No, I mean, we do it with the gin as well. 46% is our gin. Yeah, um, that's our magic number. We haven't dropped below 46% for any of our main products in that, in that respect. And uh, again... Alcohol by volume, ABV, it carries flavour. So when we get into the cask expressions, you'll really see that flavour punch become even more emphasised as well. Fantastic. Um, and SDR cast, now we were walking around earlier and you explained this to us. Well, you had the stave in your hand when you were explaining it to us. Is it possible to simply just quickly explain what that is to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, well, I won't say what I said in the uh, casking warehouse and I won't <laughs> say the other thing that I said even longer. Um, STR cask, shaved, toasted, and recharred. And if you want to boil it down to um, a really quick explanation, it is a very similar process that is done to virgin American oak for bourbon casks, but it's done to a red wine cask. So you have all the benefits of American oak, red wine aging, and then it's recharred. Well, it's toasted and then recharred, which means that you've got a really active cask that will impart American oak flavours, red wine flavours, caramelised sugar flavours from the toasting, and then the charring will add a flavour, a filtration, and a lot of natural colour to it as well. So it's a really good way of getting a lot out of a spirit at a very young age. Yeah, and I, I picked up something that you said earlier that I didn't know, which is one of the reasons why I love coming to these kind of places, because I learned these little nitbits of information about um, when a liquid is in a barrel, when a wine is in a barrel, 0.5 millimetres goes into the wood roughly. Yeah. And when a spirit like new make goes in, it's 0.7. So you get all the wine and a little bit of the wood as well. Yeah. You're not just taking the wine at the edge, uh, which I didn't know. And I loved, I loved that bit of science there. Well, here's another one for you. Oh, yes. An empty barrel can hold up to in between six and eight litres of liquid in the grains of the wood. Wow. Really? Yeah. So when, when a distillery talks about uh, receiving barrels wet, that's basically it. Right. Um, and what I'm sure people will either comment or say something about this, but there's a bit of bit of something going around about bourbon casks at the moment, because if you get them from certain places, they steam those barrels to get every single ounce of liquid out of the barrel to put into production, which means that when you're getting a bourbon cask, it's not much bourbon left in the wood. Well, if you think about a company that's absolutely huge and you're going through thousands to millions of casks a year, 
and you can get an extra eight litres out of that single cask. Yeah. You're going to do it. Yeah. Shareholders are going to be very happy with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. But then it does put into question the bourbon cask for further releases when it comes to aging. We've just switched over to getting um, it's Basil Hayden barrels and we get them wet. Nice. Wow. So is there a specific time of year where there'd be the least amount of fluid in the wood, as it were, with oh, the retraction? Yeah, interesting question. No, not really. No, okay. No, it's not, it's not overly weather dependent, to be honest with you, because this, this is a process that's going to go on all year round. So, and what you will have seen out in the courtyard as well is all of our barrels, we keep them wet. So they never dry out in the sun or anything like that. We literally have a sprinkler system over them oh, really? to keep them wet so they won't dry up and shrink in hotter weather. So ah. whether it's in the rain in the winter or in the summer, they're always going to be kept at a certain moisture level as well. Ah. Ah. well things you learn from being here, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, so yeah, this is, this is just such a beautiful drop. I just love it. I think uh, in terms of a core range as well, Something I've learned over the last year is it's hard to judge a distillery on their core range because it's it's not really their best, is it? You, you know, it's what they can mass produce, but it's not necessarily their best expression. So if your core range is this good, then that that has to be mean that the rest of the stuff it's worth spending more money on. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's just a given in my mind that oh I'll try that then because the core range is so nice. Mm. Um, because this this t- tastes like other other distilleries next levels up yeah. a few steps up uh, and you're doing it at a core range which I just think is incredible I mean the, re- the reality is it comes down to the definition of mass distribution yeah, I suppose, um, yeah. and we still have as I've said today we have the luxury of still being really small which means that our flagship whiskey we have been able to get to a point where it's always going to consistently be like this and there aren't many factors that will alter that and so we can proudly keep producing this and keep putting it into market at a consistently high level. And it is delicious. It's, it's got everything you need from it. It's approachable. It's fruity. It's easy to drink. It's got loads of versatility with regards to how you want to drink it. You want to add water. You want to add ice. You want to have a highball. Um, you want to make it in a cocktail. It's got loads of application. But at the very core, it's just a tasty dram. Yeah, it really is. And... I noticed on the bottles and I was, when I was looking in the shop as well. Um, so on the label, it's got the, the year that the 2014 Odyssey barley, this particular bottle we're drinking. Is there much variation from one year to the next or actually have you been able to nail it in terms of being pretty spot on? No, no, honestly, there isn't. Uh, one thing that we're very proud of here is consistency. So whilst we do have releases that will indicate the month that it's been bottled and the field where we get it from in the Cotswolds, and the size of the batch and everything like that, the consistency is, I mean, I would even challenge either Nick Francino, our head distiller, or Dan, our owner, to try and differentiate anything that we've released from 17 all the way through to where we are today in 2021 because of the consistency. So it's not disparaging towards what we've ever done. It's just that we consistently make a good whiskey, meaning that there isn't any vintage variation. Yeah. Vintage variation. Is that the same term, like I've heard the term flavour drift come up. Is that the same thing where like a, a brand's uh, bottles over the years will change flavour? Is that the same kind of... Yeah, like- I mean, vintage variation really would actually be more of a wine term, if anything. Right. Uh, obviously because of 
We don't have it in whiskey as much. I mean, that's a conversation that uh, Mark Rainier and uh, what is it, Nick Morgan from Diageo can argue about. I'm not going to get into it. But with regards to vintage (laughs) variation, really, it's wine and what Mother Nature does with grapes and the production of those grapes and then how it will differ from year to year. And that's why I say the consistency that we achieve means that there isn't any vintage variation. The drift, yes, I can Mm. see how that that could occur from different anomalies and variations with production at a distillery but yeah a year on year difference no i don't think so oh yeah i guess and any difference in the casks i mean you know it's not huge 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 you know uh, blending of thousands of casks going into our kind of releases like say it's like ten thousand bottles or so as a, as a maximum kind of in a run but typically any kind of slight variation in those single casks they're all going to slightly iron, iron each other out and you'll get a very, very, very similar kind of final product out of it. And Especially you know, the STRs. I mean, the STRs were designed for that consistency. Mm. That is exactly why, they're, why they are the way they are. It's for that consistency. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's something that we're proud of. We always have consistently good whiskey and as far as we're concerned, long may it continue. That's yeah. the most important thing is that as long as there's flavour and it's consistent, we'll leave it at that. I just want to talk about the tour we've had today just a little bit. I just want to say thank you very much for taking us around. And it's something we've been looking forward to for ages. And it was fantastic. I've got to say the smells were great. Mm. Um, it's nice to touch some barrels. I th- I, that was allowed, right? Touching the wood. Touch. When did you do that? Oh. <laughs> Nick loves touching wood. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's what he does. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's this one here. For those listening, that is Nick just stroking yeah. a table. <laughs> so now that things opened up a bit, how is the distillery tour business? Is it back to what you want it to be? It's just good to be back. Yeah. After the year and a half that everyone's had, it's just good to be at a point where we've got visitors, we're back doing three tours a day with full capacity. Um, and we've got people in our cafe, people are coming down to enjoy lunch on the terrace, we've got a little pizza van going. So our distillery is always at its best when it's brimming with people, yeah. um, whether it's all of the team here, so we've got our bottling team, our distilling team, our shop and tours team. It's just good to have people here. It's kind of like one of those places where it's, it's kind of like that house where we like hosting. We like having people here. So why not? everyone's game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that's the most important thing for us is it just feels good to have a lot of people back here, breathing it all in, touching wood, eating pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Coronation chicken. That was good. I recommend that. There yeah. You go. Yeah. No, mate, when we turned up, there was a man on another table eating a slab of cake and it was a slab of cake. Really? I was like, that cake looks incredible. But it's, it's the perfect spot for a place like this in my mind. I've spent a fair amount of time in the Cotswolds and people love cafes and little farm shop kind of vibe things. And this, because it's a small distillery, it has that vibe to it of boutique uh, farm shop element to it, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the shop's not big, but I just love being in there just because it was fun. It was like, oh, look at this and all the different variants. And it's all local as well. It's all yeah. local stuff. And uh, of, of course, if anyone's familiar with Cotswold's architecture, this place is a perfect example yeah. of that, isn't it? I mean, everything kind of has to be around here, but it feels like we're, you know, it's Cotswold's by name and here we are. It's, it's, it's everything you want it. Cotswold's from the Cotswold. experience. Yeah, it? that's a good, you know. that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I think the most important thing for us was to create something that was quintessentially Cotswold's and not only in the experience, but also in the whiskey, because 
whenever we talk about our our two core lines, you know, we've got our Cotswolds dry gin and then we've got our Cotswolds whiskey. In the gin, you can't grow juniper and grow grapefruits and that sort of thing in the Cotswolds. So we've nodded to the Cotswolds by using Snow's Hill lavender yeah. in the botanical mix. Whereas with the whiskey, that is 100% Cotswolds. It's Cotswolds barley and then it's it's processed and fermented and distilled and bottle barreled and bottled everything we do is done here in the Cotswolds so it is a pure representation of the mm. Cotswolds in a bottle um so yeah it's just trying to bring all of that to life with regards to whether it's experience or product yeah wasn't that one of the reasons why you're a bit um careful about doing a peated release because peat wasn't native to here exactly right yeah there's no peat bogs in the Cotswolds yeah. and so why try and either ship in barley that's been peated elsewhere or something like that so what we did was and, you know, people that listen to that episode when you dissected the peated cask, the peat is from the cask. It's a third-party peat. It's a tertiary flavour, which meant that it's not going to be as prominent. And I don't know whether you picked up on it in that episode, but the disparity between the nose and the palate is huge. There's mm. no peat, there's no smoke on the nose, but on the palate, it's really, really evident. And then I remember listening to it, and you guys went, right, so uh, before we taste it, I'm just going to put a bit of water in it because it's 60%. I was like at home going, why did you put water in it? <laughs> I, I no, it was afterwards. I, 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 I always tried it neat I, first. Oh, okay. Because and I just got really nervous when you said you'd listen to it. Because this is the first time as well. We've been in a room with people whose whiskey we've tried. <laughs> and now we're in a room. I'm thinking, what did I say? No, no, yeah. no. No, no, I'm sure. You were fine. <laughs> we but tried to be, but it's just like- The one thing with the peated is, it's the only thing out of our entire range where I'm like, you must, must, must try it a few times before you add water. Simply because as soon as you add water it strips out that flavour profile. So mm. you mm. kind of lose whatever peat that we've put in there from adding water because, like I say, it's a tertiary flavour from the seasoning of the cask. So I probably would have enjoyed it more with the water. Because you don't like peat. But but it would have been completely pointless buying a peated bottle if I was going to do that. Well, luckily, we've got a bottle in front of us. Oh, so yeah. we, we can try again. We can go we again. Can try we can again. try again. So the bottle we're passing around is our Founder's Choice, which is a whiskey that we wanted to release as soon as possible. It's our owner, Dan. It's his favourite expression of our whiskey. Um, it's also a bottling that is uh, dedicated to the late, great Dr. Jim Swan, who was the creator of the Red Wine STR cask, but also he was quintessential in us in the development and the finessing of our whiskey process. He worked with us tirelessly before, um, unfortunately, he passed away. So we wanted to be able to dedicate not only our STR um, cask expression to him, but also the fact that he knew just from tasting our new make that an STR with that spirit would work perfectly. So yeah. that's what we've got here. Nice. Could you just give a listen to a little bit of background on Jim Swan? Um, he's known as the Einstein of whiskey and the ultimate whiskey troubleshooter. Yeah. So, yeah, why is that? Why is he so special? Well, he was in the industry for at least 45 years, um, and he worked in every aspect of it, all the way from, I mean, from production all the way through to, uh, you know, cask management. And he was an expert in maturation, you know, the integration and the um, the flavour profiles of spirit with wood and oxidisation, but also he was, when he went into consultancy, he worked with, you know, Cavalan out in Taiwan, Penderin over in Wales, up in Scotland, he worked with Kilcoman, I mean, Israel, Milk and Honey, ourselves, and that, that's just five out of countless amounts of distilleries where he took, 
He saw an emergence of New World whiskey starting with distilleries all over the world, took his expertise and really was able to help them finesse an entire category into having very, very good spirit and very good whiskies. And then along with that, he brought the STR cask, which was his design, the shaved, toasted and recharged red wine cask. And he, he was able to use that and utilize that with these distilleries, not so there was a uniformed flavor profile across the world, but to best help them adapt their flavor with what they were doing. Mm. And um, yeah, he was so important to so many people. It was, um, it was saddening when he passed on, unfortunately, because he had so much left to give to the industry. But what he did in part was, for us especially, really, really important, really important. And he was a true gent as well. You speak to anyone in the industry, no one's got a bad word to say about him. Really? Yeah. Learning about all these people who have sadly passed on after we've started our yeah. whiskey journey. Or retired, journey. even if they're just retired. Yeah. Yeah. But whiskey is a people's thing, isn't it? That's that's what we're learning as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's all about people. And that's another reason why it's kind of sucked not being able to go out and meet people and see the people that are doing it because... Well, as you it means more actually meeting someone and, and share, opening a bottle with someone than it does. And as you've seen things. today, and you will see continuously as you continue doing what you're doing, is people within the whiskey world, they're happy to open up their doors and talk about it. You know, it's not like some champagne houses or wine houses where it's a very closed door. You can only come by appointment and you will only see X amount of whatever they're doing. You know, most people that are in whiskey, they just want to open the doors, crack a few bottles and have a good conversation about yeah. what it what is they do. do. Is there a big camaraderie between, well, with English distilleries at the moment? So yes. It's, it's really growing. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, Vin will tell you as well, there is, there is an English whiskey, not society, but it's basically, it is a society of all the English whiskey distilleries coming together. There's an English whiskey festival coming up mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks that we're a part of as well. Um, and yeah, because it is an Acorn category where we're all in the same boat, give or take five, 10 years of starting, you know, we're all front row to the emergence of a brand new category within whiskey, which means that it is the rising tide and we're all the little ships on that rising tide yeah. coming up together. Do you think, because um, again, a lot of the English whiskey distilleries are new and this kind of long fermentation taste, that fruity vibe, is that kind of building a bit of a, kind of like an English style as it were? Instead That's of good kind of other um, shorter fermentations, which might be designed to, be aged longer, for example. Well, I think within English whiskey, the thing that you've got to remember is because it's so young, you've got to start out doing it right. And by doing it right, you've got to do it from a quality standpoint as opposed to a quantitative standpoint. As we said earlier, you know, that someone will be able to pick this out. You know, we tried to, um, but there is a whiskey distillery up in Scotland that of size is as big as all of the English whiskey distilleries put together with regards to LPA produced, you know, the amount of liquid produced. Now that's not disparaging to Scotland, but what you've got is a lot, a collection of small distilleries who have to focus on quality first. So when you talk about long fermentation, it's just another decision within the production process that allows you to have something of quality. Um, is it efficient? No, but being small as a lot of us are, it means that we can concentrate on quality, which can then translate into when aging having different expressions that have a good foundation of quality. So it's like anything. We're all new to the game. We're all feeling ourselves out within the, within not only the category, but the whiskey category. And what we're trying to learn is where we all sit in that point. And one thing we all want to do is just be good. Yeah. And I suppose because you're all fairly small as well, there's actually enough of a market for all of you. You don't feel you have to have to compete as much, I guess. I mean, you might 
have a completely different opinion on that behind closed doors. But cer- yeah, certainly, it, granted, you want to come out on top by all means, but you're probably just happy for all English whiskies to be doing well because if another one's doing well, someone who buys that might go, English whiskey? Oh, let's see what else is around. And they'll find you or Lakes or Cooper King because of that. Uh, and that's probably a good thing at the moment with how many there are, I only 33, yeah. uh, and which some aren't even producing or selling their whiskies yet. So you're in a good place to be there at the front of that compared to if you were starting up now making your spirits, you're a few years behind, right? So you're right there at the forefront of it, which is fantastic. I've asked about seven questions in that statement. Yeah, I'm going to try and unpick that as best yeah, I can. Yeah, please do. I think the most important <laughs> thing out of all of that is, yeah, it, it's interesting from a standpoint of, do we look at other whiskey distilleries within England as competitors? Not really. Because it is an acorn category, because it is tiny, it's more interesting to see where we're all going and if anyone's doing anything different. Or mm. And it's not from a competitive standpoint. I mean, I'm looking at a bottle of English Whiskey 11 right now. They're actually probably the front runners with regards to how long they've been in the game, what they've been able to release and what they've been able to establish. But then... You know, Lakes are doing amazing things. Bimber are tearing it up with regards to what they've done in the marketplace and how they've managed to create, for want of a better expression, a cult based around their liquid because they do make great liquid. And yeah, there is enough of a demand that we're all actually enjoying that space. And for now, we're all staring into the abyss, every single one of us. No one is, no one is going, yeah, I know where I'll be in 10, 15 years because none of us do. Um, and so we're all sort of stood shoulder to shoulder looking at each other and looking out into the abyss going, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you even feel like you're competing with, with Scotch or not really? No, 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 I know. No, definitely not. Um, one of the main questions that you will always get as an English whiskey distillery is, what in comparison to Scotland do you like? What are you like with regards to Scottish style? And the, the one answer is nothing. Yeah, and that's what I love about English whiskey. We, we've been talking about this for a while now. Every time we're trying a whiskey from a different country, there are certain, granted, we haven't necessarily tried, tried many, but the one Indian whiskey we tried was, and it was actual whiskey rather than their spirit that they sell, their yeah. cool whiskey. It just tasted like scotch. And to us, that was disappointing because... India have got so much to offer in terms of what they produce in locally that's going to be different from what you'll get in Scotland, that it was disappointing to have something that could have been uh, uh, a lowland scotch. Mm. Um, whereas every time we've had an English whiskey, and there's other ones like the McMira, a good example in, in Sweden, yep. uh, and the stuff we've had from Tasmania, or the, the one drink we've had from Tasmania, yep. has had a, a uniqueness to it, which actually makes you go, Oh, brilliant. So that's the quality that makes it English. That's the quality that makes it French or Swedish or whatever. You don't like, and that's what I love about all English whiskies at the moment is, and that's, I guess that's what you were getting at with the fruitiness that seems to be coming out of most of the English whiskies we've had. It does seem to be an English style, uh, which we're picking up on, which is great because it differentiates it. Um, I have one other marketing question in terms of comp- competitiveness. Are English whiskies as a whole, as a collective, are you looking at market share of whiskey sales and whether collectively English whiskies are growing within that in terms of sales or is that not, not, not even a, a percentage you're looking at? Well, it's an awkward question simply because 
and correct me if I'm wrong, we're actually the first English whiskey distillery to be um, released in grocery. <laughs> right. So, I thought so. Okay. So the most diplomatic answer I can have is we're still figuring that out. We're right. still figuring out market share with regards to where we stand in, in a commercial space. And so if anything, in a, in a really positive way, we are trailblazing commercially and not paving the way, but figuring out where English whiskey sits in that. So we're, we're, if anything, we're out there making the mistakes that other distilleries can learn from. Yeah, we haven't sure. made like crucial bad mistakes or anything like that, but we're out there figuring out where English whiskey fits within that commercial standpoint. Um, and the same can be said when you talk about export markets as well, because Connor and I have both been to whiskey fairs all over Europe. And, you know, we've, we've sat side by side with distilleries from Scotland, from Wales, from Australia. And the conversation, which is really promising, is that people just concentrate on the quality of the liquid as opposed to any sort of stigma behind where it's from. So people aren't going, English, that can't be good. Why are you making whiskey? It's, let's taste the liquid. Is it good? Cool. Um, where exactly is the Cotswolds? Yeah. That seems to be the main narrative. So with regards to market share, we don't know. We're, yeah. I mean, some would say we're out, in, we're out in front, but we still regard ourselves as the same as everyone else, just trying to figure it out. But from an international standpoint, we make good liquid. So that's the most important part. Fantastic. Thank you for answering that question. Sorry, my brain operates. I just, I just, <laughs> no, no, I fire, jump around. Fire away. I apologize. It's good. Uh, I just wanted to go back to this whiskey because it's amazing. Uh, I love the fact I have a bottle of this at home. Yes. Founder's choice. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, on the nose. You, you get the chocolate digestive. There's a maltiness to it, which I absolutely love. I'm stealing that by the yeah, way. It's, a, it's amazing. Uh, but then when you're, then when you have it in your mouth, it explodes, which I love. It absolutely explodes in your mouth. And uh, there's a fruitiness that comes through. And I can't pick out what it is, but it's just amazing. Just like tasting note. Amazing. There you go. You can steal that one as well if you want. Connor, write that one down. Yeah. We'll take that. Tastes like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Founders is always one that we're mega proud of because it is, as far as flavour is concerned, it is the most prominent, the most eye-catching. Whenever we take it to any shows or display it anywhere, people come back for drams because they automatically, and this is a consistent no matter where we go, they go, I want to try that again. That is stand out to me. And it is a good dram full of flavor well that's what happened so we we'd had your standard the single malt and then we were at the whiskey show and we got an english tasting set of which the founders was one of them and thinking oh i know what the cotswolds taste like and had this i was like okay need to buy this <laughs> and of the six that were in that set that's the one i then went and and got a bottle of because it just blew me away. It was like, the flavour in that is outrageous. Well, we alluded to it before we started recording, so I best repeat it, otherwise we've got rid of all the good content before we recorded. <laughs> but the great thing about the Founders is, it's usually bottled around about 60%, 60.9, 60.4, something like that. Um, and you can manipulate the flavour profile with a couple of drops of water, all the way from 60 down to what I think is still optimal at 50 and you will get different flavor profiles at each ABV. So really what you can do is you can take the foundation of the flavor profile of Founders Choice and create your own with just a couple of drops of water, you know, depending on where your head's at. And I take it down right down to 50% and it's absolutely stunning still. It's not watered down or diluted or homogenized. It is just a still a solid whiskey at 50. Yeah, we spoke about it with Vim when, when we were trying Vin's whiskeys. 
uh, a similar thing. I, I mean, I love higher ABV whiskies anyway. I like the, I like what it does in my mouth. Something, something we've talked about fair a lot recently. I really love the explosion of, of the, the reaction. Um, but the value for money for, is also beneficial because you can water it down and it will offer you different things. Well, one thing to bear in mind is we worked with Jim Swan. He helped us with the liquid. He brought the STR. This is 100% STR. Another whiskey that has got the same composition would be the Vigna Barrique by Cavalan. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, Vin, but last check online, that was about 400 quid a bottle. It's shocking. Absolutely shocking. And this is what, like 65 pounds? Yeah. It's um, absolutely astounding value for what it is. And the only variation is climate. Um, so let's talk about your founder, Dan. Yes. Um, now, in the video we watched earlier, an uh, American guy from New York and uh, moved over here to be an investment banker and then decided he wanted to put something into England and, and start his own business, essentially, and chose whiskey uh, and set this up. How active is he within the company? He's as hands-on as you get. He's as hands-on as you get. He... He is the complete opposite of backseat. He is, he's here. I mean, he's on holiday right now, but it's August. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, people, do, <laughs> people, apparently, people apparently do that. Um, but yeah, he's as hands-on as you get. He, you know, this is still his baby. This isn't just a passion project or something he dips in and out of. You know, he's here on a daily basis. He, he, d- he does tours for people. You know, he's got control, complete control over the liquid, um, you know, this is everything to him. This is like another child to him. So he is as involved as you can get. And, you know, he is into whiskey, but he's a spirits nerd as well, which means that anytime he goes away to somewhere obscure as well, he'll come back and go, have we thought about making this spirit? He did that a couple of years ago and we ended up making rum. <laughs> and, you know, he, he spent a lot of time in France. So the aperitif culture, he's very much involved with as well. So we've tried to implement that into a couple of gins that we've made. You know, in, in the past, we've made vermouth. We've made a form of grappa, a form of apple brandy that we called Cotswolvados. <laughs> he is as passionate as you get about spirits and good distillation, but also flavor. He is a flavor hound. And I think I'm not wrong in saying the reason that we don't make a vodka is because he's not really that enticed by the lack of flavor. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's vodka heads out there that will say, wait, wait, wait. But... If we're going to spend all of this time making a spirit from scratch, we'd actually rather make, rather make it a whiskey. And, and we're sitting behind me where I'm sitting right now is a, is a wall of all different kinds of spirits, mostly whiskey from some of which I recognize, some of which are special editions, which I've not seen before from distilleries. Um, is this his collection again? Is this stuff that he's brought back or is this, is this that you can just come in and try? Is that yeah. how that works? It's, it's, it's part of his collection, isn't it? It's not even his full collection. Um, I mean, I've seen his bar at his house and it is, I'd sit at that bar and drink. It's amazing. But yeah, this is part of his collection, but it's also an indication of where world whiskey is as a category. Mm. So it's partially like distilleries that we respect. Like you'll see some old Springbank up there, lots and lots of Brook Laddie as well. You know, distilleries that we sort of look at as our, you know, what, who we look up to, who we admire. But then you'll also see distilleries that we regard as our contemporaries as well and then distilleries from around the world, different styles. So it's really just a showcase of exciting things that's going on in the world of spirits that we appreciate. Fantastic. It's very pretty. I mean, it's always a nice draw as well when you walk in and go, oh. all right, we're set for a good afternoon <laughs> because, yeah, there's some, there's some beautiful liquid up there. It's nice when you walk somewhere and you, you also, I mean, 
it's accessible as well. Look, you've got the Dalwyn and Winters Gold. You've got a Glenfiddich 12. You've got the Tamla Vulin. Stuff you can buy normally as well. It's not just an exclusive thing. So it makes you feel like, oh, I've got some of that at home. But also there's some special gems on there that you're like, oh, I wonder what that tastes like. So it's, a, it's not intimidating. No, I mean, to paint a picture, on the left wall, we have the shelves speaking about, you know, all of the different whiskies from around the world, as well as Scotland, some obscure, some accessible. But then on the right-hand side, on the wall, we have an archive of every barrel sample and every batch distillation that we've ever done. That's what I was going to ask. I was about to ask about this. So what you've got is what we've done, what we're doing and what we'll be. And sometimes it's best to have a comparison, if you will, so that you can test through what you're doing and go, do you know what? That's actually quite similar to X, Y, and Z. And mm. instead of going, well, I wonder if that's actually a reality, you can reach over and go, yeah, there is, there's some similarities there. Have We're not aiming to do that, but it's good to have a reference point. Absolutely. Um, right, so the founders, thank you very much. Cheers. You are welcome. Cheers. Yes. Enjoyed that. Cheers. Cheers, Dan. Whiskey! Should we go on to Peter? I think we should. I'm game, for sure. You're having fun over there, Vin? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a time to listen and there's a time to talk, right? And I'm, I feel like I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> this is the time to talk, Ben. Uh, yeah, no. we brought you to talk. Uh, I mean, we appreciate the introduction, but you know, can do some talking. Uh, I, I can't decide whether this one would be my favourite or the founder's choice. I'm really getting into Pete. I wasn't into Pete five years ago, and I'm Ooh. really getting into Pete. And this is like, I, I point people to this um, as part of their journey to Pete if they're not really into it. Like, it's somewhere. Just after like the Ardmore Legacy, lightly peated stuff, you can move on to this as a mid-range before you hit the really like distillate peat yeah. stuff. Um, because exactly like you said, on the nose, you'd just be like, no, that's, that's, to me, there's no peat there at all. It's a bit, yeah. so, a bit salty, quite sweet on the nose as well, like mm. some sweet sort of like caramel, but light marshmallowy style yeah. sweetness. Have you had those um, caramel chocolate digesters that, that have the, the caramel between the... No? Yeah, if it's, yeah, it's so yeah, Moorish. Yeah. If it's ones. a biscuit... Yeah, you've had it. it. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was furloughed for 18 months. I ate all the biscuits and then went round back again. <laughs> biscuits and things, that's a whole other podcast. Oh, we, we, we talked we, about Yeah, we talked about, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm into that. Well, it was the mispronunciation of bourbon and yeah, bourbon was I what I could never get that right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Abby over at Brookladdy. Um, that's a great sentence. Abby, Abby at Brookladdy. Brook yeah, follow her on Instagram. She, she's cool. Um, but she did a tasting during lockdown that I have to hold my hands up and go, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. She basically did Brookladdy's portfolio with crisps as a tasting. Jesus, that's amazing. So clever. She was doing classic laddie with Monster Munch. <laughs> We're done here. Right? Yeah. What do you bring to the table? Yeah. Uh, just, more, just more whiskey. Just, just more whiskey and... <laughs> Nice sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, and they were good sandwiches as well. With this bottle, I'm just asking, it's 60.2. Is yep. this a cast strength or not? Yeah, so everything after the signature, so the founder's choice, um, the peated and the sherry are cask strength, which basically means that we cask at 63.5 and then the reduction in ABV is just from aging over time. And then as soon as it comes out the cask, we put it through a filter to get rid of barrel fragments, so physical debris. I was going to ask yeah. about that. And then that's the only filtration, and then it's bottled. So no water is added, nothing. So okay. Is there a reason why you didn't put that in the bottle? Because that always confused me. I thought that was high for a non-cast for, for non strength, but it doesn't say cast strength unless I'm absolutely missing something huge on this bottle. 
No, it's just, it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, 60.9 from the cask. Yeah, we don't bring it down to anything because, as I said, adding water to that liquid can be detrimental. Yeah. I think we brought down the sherry, like, by a couple of percent max, but nothing major. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we wanted to show the true expression of the cask, which means that we didn't want to add any water to it. It's not the cheapest way to do things because, obviously, every batch is a different ABV. And it's usually only by point this, point that. Yeah. But it's the expression of the cask. Vin, you just said you've got into peated stuff more recently. Mm. Was this one of your gateways or, or what was your gateway? What was the thing that made you start going, hmm, do you know what? There might be something there for me. Well, uh, so when I first um, started getting into whiskey, uh, I went to a festival and... Um, didn't know anything about any whiskies at the time, and I went up to a counter and I said, "I'll have a, I'll have some of that Ardbeg Oogadal, please," and uh, you're absolutely destroyed by it, and it put me off peat for so long. Um, but no, that when by the time this came out, which is only a couple of years ago now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. By the time this came out, I was already a, a big peat fan, so this was on pre-order. You know, like I knew I, knew I was getting this before it. But um, yeah, well, I wouldn't say it was a gateway one, but it's just such a good expression for uh, for peat heads and non-peat heads. Because it's like I mean, well, on the palate it does kick a bit, but that's exactly what I want. But it also um, is just light enough to for everyone to enjoy. I think so. I always recommend it uh, with the high ABV as well as a bit of a, a stepping stone from those non peats to the really heavy stuff. Which I, I mean, I love the really heavy stuff. Really love it. I know you you're not a huge fan, but uh, I just prefer other whiskies. I, I do. In, uh, it's not I don't enjoy it, but if I had a choice of a non-peated and a peated, I'd probably choose a non. But it, when every time I say oh, I don't like, I'm not really a peat head, I get given a peat whiskey and I'm like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> so it, it's it, it's just it's. I think I just prefer the other stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing about a peat head to a non-peat head. It's not that you dislike or like anything in particular. It's exactly as you said. When presented with a choice of two, and one's one and one's the other, whichever one you automatically default to. Actually, I mean, for yeah. me, I, I mean, even the dead of summer, I'll be sitting in my shorts and no, no T-shirt, and I'll probably still grab a peated whiskey. Um, so I have to classify myself as a pea head these days. Um, but that's been a really like a, a, an arc over about three years of really plugging away, trying every peated whiskey I can, until one day I just hit one. I can't remember which one it was, and it was like something lifted, and I was like, okay, I like this stuff now. But it was that was hard for, hard for. Well, getting into whiskey is, isn't it? Yeah, no one, it is, no yeah. one wakes up and goes, ah, whiskey, yeah, that's what I need. You know, you have to progress yourself along a certain timeline. And the it, it was my it was my sort of trip into whiskey. You know, you start off, you're a bit young, you have a JD and Coke. Yeah. Or you maybe a JD and lemonade, you know, the old Lynchburg lemonade, and then you go, Well, it's a bit much, a bit much, and then you sort of you go down to having 50-50s maybe, and then you have an old-fashioned, and then you're like, oh, well, it's still quite sweet, and then I'll have a, a bourbon on ice or a JD on ice. And it's just that progression of building your palate, and your palate is a muscle, so you're just kind of working out where where your strengths are and what you, what you appreciate. And with Pete, you know, the other side of the coin would be peated whiskey is kind of like music. There's a certain music for a certain time, and it works. And... You can listen to that song in the gym and it works perfectly. But if you're out walking your dog, you're like, oh my God, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I need right now. Mm. And so I, I think with flavor profiles in whiskey, it's just down to the occasion and where you're at yourself. It's not to dismiss a style, but it's more to engage in that style that's appropriate for the time. Mm. Absolutely. I always say um, Pete is like being a fan of heavy metal music. If you're not a fan of heavy metal music, all you can hear is... Bah! Yeah. 
when you are a fan of heavy metal, you can be like, ah, oh, that, that drum riff is awesome, that guitar is on, you can start picking away at the little elements that put it together. And that's what I like to think about really heavy peated stuff. Um, old peated whiskey. Yeah. Is like that old Led Zeppelin stuff. Days yeah. and confused, you know, the 18 minute stuff where it's, there's layers upon layers upon layers. Oh, I like that. Mm. There you go. So you, you want me to talk? Now I've spoken. Yeah, that's good. See ya. <laughs> 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 that analogy, yeah. I, you know, I listen to heavy music in the morning to uh, get me going, so I don't I wouldn't think that. Yeah. <laughs> and I very rarely listen to heavy metal music, but I like the older stuff. There you go. And I think if you, if you really get into older peated whiskey, it's not the cheapest stuff in the world because it is so sought after, but it puts peat in a completely different frame of reference it really does yeah i think julie hamilton gave us an old peated one didn't she i think it was either julie or billy did and it was incredible it may have been billy actually um we've had a colleague from been, may have been julie. i can't remember but one of them gave us a very old peated whiskey and it was unlike anything we've had and i was like oh probably billy then i think he loved billy. giving us some yeah <clears throat> so yeah i think i think you're probably right there but yeah it also goes with our music taste doesn't it bear in mind I don't like Pete and I don't really like heavy metal music. So your analogy there between the two of you was perfect. Like <laughs> sitting there again, yeah, actually. That's <laughs> I'm going to go on Master of Malt and then I'm going to go and get uh, the 1979 Led Zeppelin, <laughs> yeah. How the West Was Won, Disc 2, and I'm going to crack into some old peated whiskey and listen to 18 minutes of John Bonham drum solos. <laughs> Didn't teach us that at music college, did they? I wish they had. Yeah. I wish they had, because uh, I think it would have made it more fun. Now, the closest we got to learning about spirits was we had a jazz guitarist come in called Pat Martino, who we <laughs> called it? Pat Martini with a mouth, uh, or vermouth. I can't remember which way you pronounce it, but yeah, but Jay would always be like, oh yeah, Pat Martini vermouth's coming in. Uh, and and that, was, that was the only crossover we had with spirits. Uh, we didn't get that. In the bass class, we didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> he came in. And this is an American jazz guitar player. And uh, it was the most boring masterclass I've ever been in because he just sounded like Kermit the Frog and I couldn't get over it. <laughs> so therefore, I didn't listen to a single thing he did because he was, he was like, and you can play this here and here, here. <laughs> and he, everything sounded like, uh, he kept saying here and it sounded like Kermit. And I was like, what's going on? I was tripping and Jay, it was Jay's birthday. So we'd had a few beers beforehand and it was even worse. Anyway, I digress. Um <laughs> This is good. You're right. I think it is a gateway to Pete. I'm driving today, so I just I've pulled a horrible face and I had to tip that away just now. It's, yeah, <laughs> Send it this way, we're not. Yeah, so, true, yeah, true. Fine. I should just slide it down the table. The whiskey! Sherry? Absolutely. Yes, this is now going into a world we haven't tasted yet. So I'm, I'm excited, excited by this one. I'm excited. Because I like Sherry's and Sherry Cars. I am a big fan of this kind of stuff. I've noticed that you've left the corks for the ones we've had out and it it's concerning me a little bit that we might mix the corks. Well, I don't think you can. Some of these, they'd be really obvious on the smell of the cork, wouldn't you? I wouldn't worry too much. I really wouldn't. They're, uh, these will be gone by tomorrow. Yeah, they're oh, synthetic right. corks as well, so oh, they're not right. going to absorb too much. What I've tasted. Yeah, you'll be absolutely fine. Plus, you know, you get to drink the whiskies. Don't worry about the corks. <laughs> well, no, because we like a cork. We like talking about corks because, I, I don't know, We, we one of my favourite whiskies I've had over the last year and a half doesn't have a cork and it annoys me that it doesn't have a cork but um, Westland Westlands yeah they don't use cork and we were trying to figure out we didn't when we had him on 
We had the master distiller on. Matt Hoffman. Yeah. We didn't ask him about the corks. Foolishly, didn't ask. I don't know. I was too enamoured with the whiskey. Yeah, and, and ever since, I mean, like, why didn't I ask? Because he was so passionate about what's in it and the process. I didn't want to ask him about. Well, why doesn't I have a cork? <laughs> but no, no, I'll leave that. I'm, I'm fine with it. Is there a reason you use synthetic cork over? Um, cork? We wanted to make sure that we still used corks, but it's just it's a combination of reasons. Really, um, they don't degrade right as quickly. Um, obviously, you know, we'd, we'd love it if people went through our whiskey at such a rate that it didn't matter whether we used authentic or synthetic. But, uh, yeah, and then we've got cask, cask strength expressions. So, obviously, high alcohol does have a corrosive nature to it as well, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, we, we'd like to limit how many bottles we receive back in the post where the corks have snapped or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. So, it is a case of, you know, it's, it's the good middle ground without putting a, a screw cap or something like that, and then having you guys call us in two years and go, we're just wondering, actually, we never asked. Why didn't you use cork? Yeah, I have a friend who broke one of my corks because he loves to get that pop. So he kind of bends it before it's out and he snapped a cork in uh, a G&M bottle. It was brand new and uh, wasn't very happy. And But then he tried to replace it as he emailed Gordon McPhail trying to get another cork for it. <laughs> Did they send him one? Nope, they sent him an email back saying, no, it's because we can't do it because of this reason. So they're very nice about it. But I didn't know about it. And I was, I was like, you didn't mention us, did you? So that's a bit weird. <laughs> it's going above and beyond to get it replaced, though. I know. I, yes, it was nice of him. But luckily, I'll keep all my spare corks in a little, a little tin and I found one that fits. Spare corks? Oh, spare corks, yeah. What? Because if one breaks, you find one that fits. Yeah, like literally. Okay, I know. Woodford Reserve. Woodford Reserve cork. <laughs> you don't keep the corks. You have this mad panic. You finish the breaks. box. Then you run upstairs, get your box, and you start trying new ones, trying to make yeah. one that's perfect fit. It's fine. See, I decided that actually they're perfect for Christmas decorations, finished corks. Oh, to hang on the tree. Hang on the tree. You could mm. drill a little hole, put a little string on them, and then you can have every, every bottle you've had over the last year as a Christmas decoration. So your Christmas tree would look like an Australian's hat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Done. Yeah, perfect. Let's do that. Okay, Sherry. Yes. Oh, this smells amazing. I'm going to love this. There's some discussion points for us based around releasing a, a, a Sherry, because as a flavour profile, as a category of whiskey. You know, you are standing on the shoulders of giants when you're making a sherry release. You know, if you're looking at Glenn Farkless, Glendronach, McCallan, anybody who is basically at the forefront of making sherry whiskey, you really are sort of taking a stab at the giants. And so a few key things for us was sherries can be sherry bombs. They can be way over extracted and just be pure sherry and you can't actually taste the distillery. So... That was one thing that we needed to be able to make sure that our identity, our DNA, our flavor profile was still in there. Um, And then sourcing the casks was big as well. So we actually sourced the casks from the same bodega that Glenn Farkless and Glendronic sourced their casks from as well. So we know we've got good pedigree in the casks that we use. The casks that we used are a combination of four things. So American oak, hogshead, American oak, sherry butts, and Spanish oak, hogsheads, and Spanish oak, um, sherry butts. So you've basically got four different casks going into the flavor profile so that you've got more surface area, less surface area. You've also got Pedro Yemeneth and Oloroso casks as well. So I guess you've got eight variables going into the flavor profile, but at the core, we still wanted it to taste like a Cotswolds whiskey as well. Mm. So, Sorry, how did you pronounce does. Pedro? Pedro Yemeneth. Yem- you're Yemeneth. Yemeneth. Ah, okay. Yeah. Everyone does it differently. We yeah. haven't figured out what, what, what we think is correct because everyone does it differently. That's from my wine days. 
So he's probably the most accurate we've had on probably. about that. Well, I mean, I'm sure you could put a H in there, like Pedro Jimenez. That's why I was going with the Jimenez. It's, come on, we're all... I don't know. None of us are Spanish here, are we? No. Right, let's just call it PX. Then. PX. <laughs> <laughs> this smells amazing. It smells so fruity. Yeah, fruity, yeah, Christmas cake as well. Yeah. Um, not overly extracted, which was really important that, you know, it wasn't just a sherry bomb. It was actually of a good flavour profile. And this is another one, car strength? Yeah, we're uh, we're kicking in at 57 on this one. Right, so yeah. down a tiny bit, but... I have to say as well. I mean, I'm a, this is my first time smelling and trying this, and I'm a I'm not huge, huge into my sherry stuff because I'm like a bit of a canary for sulphur, um, and we talked about that in the in the warehouse. Um, if there's even a whiff of it in there, I get it, um, but I don't get any of it on this, uh, and that was the number one reason why I didn't pick up a bottle of this. And now I think I'm probably going to have to. So I hadn't heard about the sulphur thing until you said earlier on. Yep. Just explain that a little bit for uh, our I mean, listeners, please. Yeah, I mean, I won't go into it too much because I'm sure I'll probably get it wrong but obviously when you're using casks that have been used for wine obviously sherry is a form of fortified wine um especially contemporary sherry casks because the chances are that if you're using a contemporary a newer distillery won't get sherry casks that have been used in a solera or traditionally used for sherry aging they will be sherry seasoned simply because the the demand for sherry casks way outweighs the use of sherry casks as a category. Yeah. Um, but sulfur is a product of amino acids that, that are present within wine. And when receiving wet barrels, we talked about that, there still can be those traces, which means that when they react in an oxidized state with spirit, it can create a sulfuric reaction, which can then temper the whiskey in a negative way, which can create a sulfur, eggy sort of flavor. Unless you're German. Uh, I'm, not talking about, I'm not going on record with that. Um, <laughs> thanks, Dave. Um, Take it's, your it's, some, it's, something, it's something that has been alluded to. It is something that happens in sherry casks. Definitely happens in red wine casks as well. It is the gamble you take. That's why this, the consistency of STR casks is so important because that that anomaly that that factor of sulfur is eradicated through the shaving. Mm. Um, and so with sherry casks, yeah, you do run that gambit. Uh, we've been lucky so far, but also our flavor profile moving forward will not be completely based around sherry as well. So we're not going to have to sort of run that gauntlet as much. I've probably got loads of stuff wrong there. So there'll be whiskey nerds writing on YouTube. I'm going to have to look that up. Who is yeah. this idiot? No. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of um, disagreement about where, the uh, the smell of sulfur can come from um, from a from a heavy sherry whiskey. Uh, some people say it's like it can be like if uh, they've been dried out with sulfur candles, which doesn't really happen much anymore, um, or like if there's not enough copper contact or something like that. Basically, no one really knows. Um, it just happens sometimes. You'll open the cask and you'll just go, oh. "Yep, all right." And you won't know until yeah. it's, until you've yeah. aged you. Your Contemporary casks as well. They're seasoned with sherry, but obviously they're not used for aging sherry anymore. So a lot of the liquid that is used to season these casks won't be then sold on to make sherry. It'll, be, it'll actually go on to make sherry vinegar. Mm. But you can't release a sherry vinegar cask expression because you will not sell a single bottle. But the reality is a lot of the sherry used in seasoning these whiskies is no longer identifiable as sherry after it's been used to season the cask. Mm. When we talked about the peated cask, you said that adding water took out the flavour of the peat. Yeah. 
with this one, what would you reckon? Is this one you can add water to? And does the it, pe- the it- peated is the only one where I side on the caution of don't bother um, with the sherry. Go to town. Um, that is that is definitely down to one personal preference. And at fifty seven percent, that's not everyone's bag. You know, you can introduce someone to this spirit, and at fifty seven percent, it'll just be an assault on the senses. Whereas adding a little bit of water isn't going to, I think, degrade the whiskey. So by all means, we've got pipettes there as well. Yeah, you can I saw sort that. of take a few drops and see what see how you feel. What I'm loving in the with these four <laughs> we've now gone through, there's that definite Cotswolds DNA running through it. Yes. Yeah. With a slight difference. Yeah, I, I heard this on another either podcast or YouTube clip or something like that, and I've stolen it ever since. Might even be in a few podcasts. So but I doubt it. A, 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 <laughs> a, distill, a, a distillery spirit is its main voice, and then its expressions from different casks are different topics spoken in that singular voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always want it to be identifiable in our core flavor profile, soft and fruity, whilst also having the capability to be applicable to a sherry, a peated cask, um, an STR cask, or as we're about to taste, some obscurity such as Sauterne Casks or Pinot de Chiron. I think it was either Sam Simmons or Dave Worthington from Boutique who, said, who said that they want to taste, it may not have been them, but I think it was them, they want to taste the distillery in all the expressions. They mm. don't want to have a whiskey and not know where the, which, which distillery it's from. You want, you know, you can have all these wonderful finishing and all that kind of stuff, but if you lose the original distillery, what's the point? And that's the gambit that you run with sherry because it can end up just being a bomb that will cover up your actual identity. In fact, it was them. It was on a pod on their podcast. It wasn't on our podcast. Uh, they were talking about uh, distilleries that closed, that had reopened right. and, and about the, the nature of the spirit from those distilleries. And that's where I've got that from. Yep. Um, and also I've noticed uh, you, you have done a boutique whiskey. There's a wonderful bit of artwork yep. back there. Um, how many independent bottling things have you done? All right. Um, that was our first. So we did um, Boutique, Gulliver's 47. We did a cask for Blenheim Palace. We do the English whiskey for Fortnum and Mason. We've done one for Wax House. We've done expressions for export countries such as Germany, France. That's it. Am I right? Yep. Uh, and then we've also done one for one of our one of our co-founders, Paul Beckworth. We've done a whiskey for his college at Oxford, Magdalen College. So they've got their own expression as well. All kinds of treasures out yeah. there. I think that's it. So about nine. Do you enjoy that process, or is it annoying, <laughs> Connor? It's, it, it's it's really good. I think the the issue and the kind of challenge we've got is you know we're making uh, only a small amount of whiskey and a lot of it is 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 going to go into our into our signature um you know founders for the str and uh you know we don't have lots of it to play with so usually when someone comes in we don't have a you know uh, a selection of casks that are potentially going to be you know used as private cask bottlings um and it's something we're looking to explore and i've spoke with dan about it and it's it's something that we want to be able to do we want to work with whiskey clubs we want to work with people and be able to provide that just at the moment we don't I mean, spirit. so yeah, and it's that, but it's also, so as we were saying earlier, um, all of our stock now, whereas we used to have a lot of it stored up in Liverpool, um, you know, it was uh, great conditions up there, but logistically sampling it, understanding kind of what we've got, 
we weren't sure. Mm. Um, it's now all coming back to Long Compton, which is a couple of miles down the road. Um, so we're now going to have, uh, well, in the next kind of 12 months, we will be sampling every cask. We will find out exactly what's, you know, what we've got, how it's tasting. Um, and, you know, uh, Jeremy, who, who's now with us in, in production, he, that's going to be something that he'll work with Dan heavily on. Um, and we'll start to just know what we've got, how we can use it. And whereas at the moment it's a barrel in a warehouse, it's the unknown. We're not going to sell it off. Um, we, you know, we have no idea kind of what, it, what it's like. So, um, yeah, we're going to be building that kind of library in more detail. And we, you know, we definitely want to be able to facilitate that. Um, but we just haven't haven't had that kind of resource locally to be able to do it. Is having a company like Boutique coming on board and taking a, a, a cask a real positive thing in terms of your own, again, I'm bringing up marketing again. I don't know why I keep coming back to that, but it's like uh, it legitimizes you, right, in, in the eyes of the whiskey industry, perhaps. I mean, you, you probably felt that way already, but it's definitely an a great hat tip when someone like that comes on board and says, we want to, we want to do an expression of yours. With Boutique, it was also the feedback we got. We sent them eight cask samples. They chose two casks, but they said the only reason we chose two is because we wanted to, but the one thing that we loved was the consistency. Right. Going back to what I've been saying previously is they said the consistency of the cask was absolutely awesome. We'll take these two, but it's really just a case of we could have taken eight if we needed eight, but we need two. Yeah. So to hear that, especially from Boutique, who have bottled everybody, it was a great compliment. And it, it, if anything, it was not only a steer that we're doing the right thing in the right direction, but it's a nod from people that we truly respect highly. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, what are your thoughts on this sherry then? Oh, I'm absolutely loving it. So I was listening to what you're saying rather than actually thinking about the, the taste of the whiskey. I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I, I, I keep <laughs> cutting across, don't I? I come jump in, my brain's Well, no, I'm listening place. to everyone. Yeah. Well, it's the Whiskey and Things Roundtable, but it's not. Yeah. yeah, we haven't done this for a while. I'm out of practice. All right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's fine. <laughs> I think this is great. I really oh, it's do. absolutely I beautiful. I think this I'm is really uh, great. Yeah. yeah. I think I still prefer the founders, uh, but this is this is a beautiful expression in my in my mind. But I do like sherry casks, so it, that's no surprise. But as we've said, it's not, it's not a sherry bomb, and it's still got the Cotswolds flavour to it, and I think that's so important. It's a... It's, it's Cotswold with a nod to, to Sherry, right? It's rather than Sherry with a nod to Sherry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's flavour extraction without covering up your DNA. That's Absolutely. the most important thing for us, is making sure that you still can tell it's us. In the second of our special Cotswolds Distillery episodes, going live in the next few weeks, we taste two special expressions currently available. The next two... Uh, We're being spoiled here, Nick. We're being oh, absolutely spoiled here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these are part of our Hearts and Crafts releases. So the first one is a Sauterne cask. It is a dessert wine from Bordeaux. We are now going to move on to Pina de Chiron cask. Anyone holidayed in France a little? So you would have had maybe a Pina de Chiron as an aperitif. And as a special treat, we had the opportunity to taste a couple of drams that pretty much only the angels have been able to get their hands on. I've just had the nod from marketing, so we can... <laughs> both? Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. we can talk about our next two releases as a preview as well. Fantastic. Um, so, because by the time this comes out, we will have both of these announced as our next whiskey releases. What have we got here? We've got that new new. We've got that exclusive. You're listening to Whiskey and Things. These British people talk funny. 
that part two will come up as soon as we're allowed to talk about it. Might be yeah. next week. Might be episode 81, but we don't know yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I should send an email. Um, <laughs> yes, you should. Find out more about the Cotswolds Distillery and maybe book yourself a tour at cotswoldsdistillery.com. Indeed. And I'll be putting up links to their social media accounts in the show notes. And you can watch the full uncut video of that chat with Rob, Connor and Vin on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things. I'll also be putting a few whiskey exchange affiliate links to some of the whiskeys we tried in the show notes as well. But uh, yeah, it was such a great time and I was buzzing for a couple of days afterwards, Nick. I don't know about you. Um, yes, it was lovely to get out. Lovely to oh the smells, Dave. The smells. smells. I loved the I loved the barrel warehouse as well. The cask yeah. warehouse that was amazing. Yeah, got to taste the new make in there. Ah, oh, yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, because we didn't talk about the new make, did we? No. In the in, so there we go. Um, that's all there. But yeah, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. The people were beautiful. Uh, they were wonderful to us. They really looked after us. We got Very to try some after, lovely yeah. whiskies, which was beautiful. Um, we both bought a bottle. We did. We both bought. Uh, what did you, we both got the new ones, didn't we? Ones with the fancy um, packaging. I got the Sortines cask. <laughs> Limited uh, bottles in batch, 2050. 55.2%. They've got the other one. I did get the other one. <laughs> I think yeah. I got the Chardonnay one. Okay. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, there wasn't a Chardonnay one. I'm joking. I'm not a fan of the Chardonnayness. Did you get the the Pinot de Chironte? No, I got the Sortines. You got the Sortines. Yeah, I can't pronounce this, but I got the Hearts and Crafts Pinot de Charente cask. Right. Um, yes, it's the second expression of the Hearts and Crafts. Yes, I got the first one. French oak red wine cask seasoned with white Pinot de Charente. Oh, yeah. I also have. I I also do have a bottle of the Founders cask because I love it, and I may have said that in the interview. That's a beautiful uh, whiskey. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, go and buy all the Cotswolds Distillery whiskies. And other spirits as well. I've got loads of stuff. Go to go and do the tour. Do a bit of a staycation to the Cotswolds. It's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's campsite up there, right? We didn't yeah. do the camping in the end, did we? No, and there's, lo- there's <coughs> loads to do. There's loads to do. Chipping Camden isn't too far away, and it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, you're not, not too far away from uh, other Cotswolds. Cute towns, we'll call them. Cute quaint. towns. Quaint. Quaint is the word I always Picturesque. associate with... Cotswolds. Anyway, yes. anyway, the angels have had their share, Nick. Oh, mate, we had ours in that tasting, didn't we? Oh, did Good. we? Did we ever? Thank you for Lucy to picking us up. Yes, thank you, Lucy. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming, coming to pick us up. <laughs> Whiskey and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions. <laughs>